Welcome to the Herbal Womb Wisdom Podcast, where we explore the embodied practice of herbalism with the womb at the center for folks who are new to herbs or herbalists in the making. This is a place to become empowered to include herbs and natural therapies in your personal health and, most importantly, to reconnect to the deep wisdom and healing capacity of your own body and the earth. I'm your host, clinical herbalist and integrative health educator, Kailea Honeybee. Let's dive in. Hi, beautiful friends. Welcome back. Grateful to be here with you again today. I hope that you are doing well, faring well in the winter weather wherever you are. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere and enjoying the summer, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope that all is well and easeful in your lives. I know that a lot has been going on in the world, and I hope that being here today in this podcast world, no matter what you're doing, is able to bring a little bit of solace and presence and just getting into your body and arriving into the wisdom of your own womb and your cycles and just the healing potential within your own body and breath. And so one of the things that we're actually going to be talking about today on the interview, um, it's an interview with a pelvic floor physical therapist who's actually a doctor of physical therapy, Christine Klein, and she's going to be sharing about, it's a specific condition that you may or may not have heard of, diastasis recti or diastasis recti, it can be pronounced either way, which is basically when your abdominal muscles, especially the rectus, the six-pack muscles that you have, well, whether or not you have a six-pack, those muscles that could be visible, actually separate. And this is very, very, very common postpartum. This is actually something that a lot of people experience postpartum, and then it can heal on its own often postpartum, but sometimes it doesn't. And so sometimes you do have to rehab or like take some extra care and explore a variety of different ways to support yourself to kind of knit, I like to say knit the musculature back together, the connective tissue and the musculature back together. I'm sure there's some other much more scientific way of describing that. I think, you know, enhancing the integrity of the fibers or something like that. is another way to put it. But I like to consider like we're really inviting and knitting those fibers back together so that the muscles are able to contribute to a really strong core. It's interesting. One of the things that we talk about in the interview that Christine brings up, Dr. Christine Klein brings up, is that, you know, our pelvic floor is completely in relationship to our abdominal muscles and our entire kind of abdominal cavity all the way to the diaphragm. Really, our entire bodies, right, are all interconnected. And I think I share about that a lot in a lot of ways. But And I always find that fascinating to consider. But when we're thinking especially of the pelvis and all the connective tissue in relationship to the pelvis and then also the abdominal muscles and how those abdominal muscles actually run around the belly and relate as well down all the way to the pubic bone and just that whole pelvic cavity, the pelvic floor actually has a lot to do with our abdominal muscles. And one of the things that I really found compelling when we were talking about it in this interview, which you'll hear, is that that really like in physical therapy in the world of physical therapy, especially pelvic floor physical therapy, there's this concept of really wanting to work with the internal pressure inside the body and to make sure that the internal pressure is at like more of an optimized place. And part of that has to do with how we breathe 
And our breathing, like the way that we're breathing can impact both our abdominal muscles and the healing that is possible within, you know, if you have something like diastasis recti or diastasis recti, or just your pelvic floor in general, if you have any kind of different dysfunction going on down there, like whether that's constipation, whether that's prolapse, whether that's pelvic pain, like there's a lot of things, there's so much more too that actually Christine will talk about. But there's so many things that just simple breathing practices in addition to other practices or exercises or support can be so helpful. And so she's actually going to share about a specific breathing practice that you can get started with anytime. She'll guide you through it. And she also talks about, of course, some exercises that you might do, some practices. She also just gives some like basic practical tips in relation to general pelvic floor integrity and pelvic floor health that she just sprinkles throughout. She just like has ideas come up and kind of sprinkles them throughout. So I feel like whether or not you're somebody who has diastasis recti or you're somebody who doesn't at all, maybe you've never had a babe, maybe this is just not something that has been a thing for you, then I still think that you might get some gems out of this episode. So And it's also just interesting to learn about because actually there's a lot of people who don't even know that they have it. So she's also going to talk about like how can you check yourself to figure out if you do have it or not. And, you know, it can happen for different reasons too. Even kids can be born with it. I learned that for the first time on this interview. As you will hear, I will be surprised. (laughs) So before we get started, I want to make sure to do the disclaimer, of course, that nothing we share today ever is medical advice. Of course, on this podcast, nothing is medical advice. I'm an herbalist. Christine is a physical therapist. Neither of us are your individual practitioners. Everything that's being shared is for your own information, for your education, and for your empowerment so that you can take that. You can do your own research. You can explore it in your own body. And then you can get the support that you need. If you have a specific condition going on or something that you want help with, then you can find support for that, whether that is in an allied healthcare practitioner or a actual doctor or whatever that looks like for you. Also, I will say, second disclaimer, absolutely there are gendered pronouns used within this episode. The word women, I think it's mostly woman, maybe mother, are used freely throughout the episode and... Still, this is absolutely an episode for anybody who has diastasis recti or who has a belly and a womb. (laughs) Regardless, honestly, you don't even have to have a womb. There are people in all different kinds of bodies who end up with diastasis. So this might be helpful regardless. Okay, so I hope that you enjoy it. And here's the interview. Welcome, Christine. I'm grateful that we connected and that you are open to sharing your wisdom and your knowledge around the topic of diastasis recti and just what that means for people, which I think will be a new concept for a lot of people who are listening. And as a physical therapist, I just think you're going to have a lot to share. So I'm very excited to have you here. So let's start by you introducing yourself, like sharing a little of your background, what you do and why you're doing what you do. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, This is wonderful. My name is Christine Klein. I'm an orthopedic and a pelvic floor physical therapist, and I practice in Rockledge, Florida. I own a small private practice pelvic floor physical therapy clinic, and I'm always happy when I get to share the good word of pelvic floor physical therapy. There is definitely a lot to talk about in this world. Before I jump into my actual intro, I just want to introduce 
pelvic floor listeners, if you're not aware with the term that we're going to be talking about and just actually what pelvic, the pelvic floor is, because lots of times nobody has any idea what that means. And they have no idea that physical therapy can help with pelvic floor issues. Mm-hmm. So the, the pelvic floor, it's basically the group of muscles at the bottom of the pelvis, literally the floor of the pelvis, hence the name pelvic floor. The muscles provide sphincteric control for the bladder and bowels. They support our organs. They aid in sexual appreciation. They help assist with breathing and posture. They support and stabilize the spine and they act as a pump for fluid in the body. So it's really never just about leaking or one thing. There's so many things that these muscles do. So pelvic floor physical therapists help women and men recover from issues related to bladder, bowel, sexual, musculoskeletal problems like incontinence. So lack of control of bladder and bowels. Constipation is a big one that a lot of people deal with. Pelvic organ prolapse, where organs shift down the vaginal canal. Pain anywhere in their pelvis, abdomen, low back, hips. We help with recovery after pelvic and abdominal surgeries. Post-prostatectomy. Prostate (laughs) removal is one of the avenues of treatment that they can receive. So they go in for surgery to remove the prostate. The urethra passes through the prostate. So part of the urethra is removed along with the internal sphincter. So we have internal and external sphincters. So for them, they need to rely on their external pelvic floor muscles to control their continence. So pelvic floor physical therapy can be super helpful for that. And a lot of the themes regarding diastasis recti, incontinence, prolapse, it all has to do with how we manage our pressure throughout our body. So that's going to be a big topic that I talk about today. And then just some other things, difficulty or pain with tampon insertion, pain with sex, pain with pelvic exams, endometriosis related pain, pregnancy changes, postpartum recovery, and then of course, diastasis prevention and recovery which is what we will be talking about today. My gosh, like just let's just stop for a moment and like, and let's just really acknowledge how much you just shared that is possible (laughs) with pelvic floor physical therapy, which is actually like something that a lot of us don't even know exists, like you're saying. And so it's like, that's, yeah, that's really significant. And basically what I'm hearing is that literally anything related to our pelvis anything that's happening inside our pelvis. Plus you said something about fluid pumping through the body. Yes. Which can be part of the lymphatic system. Uh And there's other vascular issues that can be going on deep within the pelvis that a trained pelvic floor physical therapist can pick up on just by what we're talking about, like just in a conversation. It's not like we're doing diagnostics imaging or anything. There's a lot that can happen within the pelvis and then that affects the rest of the body. And then, so just a little bit about me personally, I'm from Long Island, New York. I moved to Brevard County, Florida, which is in the middle of the state on the East coast in 1999. I'm still here. I really love it here. I'm married with two kids and a dog and I'm loving life and get another sense of where we are in Florida. We can go outside in our front yard and watch the rockets and the shuttles lift off, which is so cool. It never gets old. I attended the University of Central Florida in Orlando. I have my bachelor's degree in communicative disorders, which is speech therapy, but I always wanted to do physical therapy. So my master's is in physical therapy. I started working in orthopedics and then I did go on to obtain my doctorate of physical therapy through a a university in Colorado called Regis University. It was a hybrid online in-person class. So I stayed in Florida working and I continued working while taking classes. Then once I started specializing in pelvic floor therapy, 
I studied to become a board-certified public health clinical specialist through the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties, and then I opened my private practice one year ago. So a lot of times I get another question of how did I get into pelvic floor physical therapy? Would you like to hear about that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I that worked feels in- important too, because it is, I think specializing in anything, often we have a story around it, but I think it's especially yeah. important because this is like a less common specialization. It is. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we don't get a lot of training in our regular physical therapy graduate level courses. It takes a lot of extra education and classes to then start treating pelvic floor physical therapy. So I worked in outpatient orthopedics for seven years, and then I moved a little bit further south in the county where I lived. So I started in a different clinic that was orthopedic, but they had a pelvic floor physical therapist on staff. And so by that time, I had had two pregnancies, two vaginal deliveries, and they were delivered 17 months apart. My son is 11 now, and my daughter is 10 But at that time, they were two and three. And I had never thought ever that I would specialize in pelvic floor therapy. It just wasn't on my radar. But when I was two years postpartum and without really fully recovering from my first pregnancy, since I got pregnant again at eight months postpartum, I tried to get back into shape, started running, and I had to keep stopping because I felt a shooting pain from my pelvis to my ankle. And honestly, like where I felt the pain in my pelvis was right over the labia majora. And I never, I didn't want to say, I have a pain in my vagina. Mm -hmm. I was, no, that just, I wasn't going, I was never really one to, it was just awkward. So just thinking about that and how awkward my patients must feel telling me what's going on with their pelvic floor. I just keep that in the back of my mind about how difficult some of these things can be to talk about. Now I'm over that. Now I talk about everything. So my coworker suggested I take a pelvic floor course to see what I thought and to see if I wanted to pursue that further. And when I got to that first course, it was just a game changer. My mind was open to all these different things that I spoke about when we first started all the things that pelvic floor therapy can help with. Yeah, I feel like it's really interesting just to hear your path with it and how it really came from your own embodied experience. I mean, somewhat from your own embodied experience, also being exposed to somebody who was specializing in pelvic floor therapy. But yeah, and just remembering all my questions for her, like I didn't know what stress incontinence Mm -hmm. meant. I didn't know what urge incontinence meant. We're not taught these things, you Mm -hmm. know, unless, unless we're taught them, but who really... So a lot of times people get misinformation from their parents or from other healthcare workers who don't really understand or have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So just being able to be like a myth buster in a way can be super helpful for preventing pelvic floor dysfunction. Totally. And also the thing of like, some people just say, oh no, this is just normal. Like that's, that's, I think a myth too. Oh, like it's normal to pee a little bit when you're laughing or something. A lot of people postpartum, I mean, as somebody who worked in the birth world, I'm very aware. And I mean, sometimes it can just happen and maybe it's not fully resolvable, but there are ways that we can actually support people to do that less <laughs> and to gain more control. But so many people postpartum don't ever, like you're saying, don't ever actually talk to their healthcare provider about having the little pee coming out when they're laughing or when they're coughing or something. Right. You know, because they running. think that they expect it to happen. They think it's going to yeah. happen. So when it happens, it's like, Okay, I knew that was going to happen. This right. is fine. And then it just happens the rest of their life. You know? <laughs> and it gets like, worse. Yeah, yeah, not knowing that it's common, but it's not normal. Right. Yes. Is the main theme that you'll hear from pelvic floor physical therapists. And any type of 
situation like that just means there's something going on within your deep core that can be remedied. And just like you said, of course, nothing's ever 100% guaranteed, Mm -hmm. but at least we can optimize what's going on and make things better. Yes. I think often, even when I was in grad school, we actually, I went to grad school for herbal medicine. And one of the things that we talked a lot about was just like what optimal health is and the difference between, oh, you're a hundred percent back to your like pre-pregnant state or back to your like early twenties and you feel vibrant and you feel vital and you're, I mean, it's a completely different time of our lives, right? So like the idea of being optimally well is very different, which is like optimally well for our bodies, for our bodies in this time. Like I am somebody who I am on a journey with a chronic issue that's come up. And it's something that I know that is a part of my life now. And I can find my way to optimal health within the capacity that I have inside this form, inside this body. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. It's about your mindset dealing with these things. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. But there are ways, there's always ways that we can better ourselves, even if it's, you know, not necessarily getting to a place of like, oh, now I no longer have that. So I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I would love to just say, since we're talking right now, and I hope a lot of people will be able to hear these messages, you know, especially women, that sometimes using topical vaginal estrogen cream can be the difference between pain with sex for the rest of your life or not, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that can happen at any age. So taking away the misconceptions of certain things, just being for when you're older and in menopause, Mm. try to take that out of your brain. And a lot of healthcare professionals don't have this knowledge either. So sometimes we have to be the ones to, to bring it to their attention, if that makes sense. Lots of times too, just asking your OB gynecologist for a referral to pelvic floor therapy can be what it takes versus waiting for them to suggest it because not, not all of them will. Oh my gosh. I totally feel that. Sometimes we really do, especially when we have things going on that, yeah, otherwise our doctors are just like, oh no, that's fine. <laughs> you know, like your, yeah, all your labs yeah. come back normal. Yeah. That pain will go away once you deliver. Right. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yes. Totally. There's a lot you can do while you're pregnant to avoid pain. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. That's beautiful. Okay. So now let's dive into today's topic all about diastasis recti. I'm so excited for us to talk about this because it really is something that I think a lot of people may even experience and not know that they have going on. So Mm -hmm. actually first let's start with a context for the abdominal muscles. Like what are they? I mean, these are people listening. Some people are more like healthcare oriented and so might already know. I mean, some people have Mm -hmm. gone through physiology and anatomy, but there's some people who might, this might be totally new for. So maybe give us a sense of where we're talking about. Yeah. And then the, just the reason for talking about the abdominal muscles. So diastasis recti or um, diastasis, it can be pronounced different ways, involves the abdominal muscles. And so that's why we'll go over all of the different ones, because it's not just the six pack muscles. Um, There's basically four big groups of abdominal muscles. So the most famous is the six pack muscles that run from top to bottom called the rectus abdominis muscles. They run up and down. It's uh, con- the connective tissue between those muscles in the midline. That's what stretches. And that's where we can experience the diastasis recti. So it's the stretching and thinning of the connective tissue between the rectus abdominal muscles. And that structure is called the linea alba. Mm-hmm. Then we have internal and external oblique muscles, like our side abdominal muscles. So to get an orientation of how those run, if you put your hands in the front pockets of your pants, that's the direction of the external oblique muscles. 
The external oblique muscles work with the rectus muscles, the six pack. And then if you cross your arms over your abdomen in an X, that's the direction of the internal oblique muscles. I'll get in, more into that in a minute. Then we have the deepest muscle layer that's called the transverse abdominal muscles. They basically run from like left to right. They're horizontal. They go from top to bottom. So from the ribs to the pubic bone, and they wrap around like an inner corset in our body. Um, they all need to work together in balance and harmony. And if not, then that can lead to just increasing that stress along the midline, promoting a diastasis and basically not helping it heal as well. So that's just a basic of those four different muscle groups of abdominal muscles. So when you work with a pelvic floor therapist, we work to wake them up because sometimes they kind of shut off and don't work as well, or we can't feel them contract. So we've got to work on waking up those muscles and then promote them to all just work together in a proper balance. Yeah, that's really helpful to give us a picture. I think anybody listening, if you do want to kind of get a sense of what these look like, you can just Google online <laughs> to kind of review yeah. what they look like. Because I think for some people hearing, you might be able to just envision it. And for other people are more visual learners. And so if it's helpful for you, check it out. <laughs> online. Definitely. Yep. Many, many pictures out there. Yes. Okay. So now like, tell us what diastasis recti actually is like what's happening. Okay. So what happens is that linea alba, the connected connective tissue between the muscle bellies of the six pack muscles, the rectus abdominis spins and basically causes more of a separation of the rectus abdominal muscle bellies. So this can happen at the top. It can happen in the middle over the belly button. It can happen at the bottom more towards the pubic bone. Mm -hmm. And so it happens in not just pregnant women, but it can also happen in newborn babies and progress through childhood mm. and also in men. So it's not just specific to pregnant women. That's interesting. I've never actually heard about it happening in newborns. So it's something that I had heard can happen in men and people who just like sometimes with weight on the body or different experiences, different things that they do that it can cause it. But I had no idea about newborns and childhood. That's so interesting. Yes. So, yep. So sometimes they're born with just the separation. Sometimes uh, they're born with an umbilical her hernia that uh, then needs to be surgically repaired. But I do have a close friend who's a pediatric physical therapist, and she was telling me about the techniques that she'll use with her kiddos that she's treating to help them manage their pressure within their body. And then it actually helps them with bowel function because that mm. can relate to that. Oh my gosh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. So you've already said who this affects in that, like it can affect people who've been pregnant or it can affect men, but how, and maybe babies, but how does it develop? Like, how does this happen? Well, so it depends on, we'll talk about women. So basically our stomach needs to expand to allow room for baby. The abdominal wall just has to expand. That's normal and natural and it's supposed to happen. And so basically 100% of women have a diastasis recti at their due date. And then we have baby and then we're postpartum. And once, once that separation lasts postpartum, then we need to start working to heal it and work on it, work on the abdominal muscles to basically build up better tension through our system. So the stretch of the pregnancy stretches out that tissue. And then that's what lasts and, you know, leads to diastasis recti lasting, if that makes sense. So nine months pregnant, everybody has it postpartum, it can stick around. 
So research has found that 60% of women at six weeks postpartum and then 32% at 12 months postpartum still have some form of diastasis recti. Yeah. So is there a reason that for some people they like kind of knit back together? Is there is there some sense of why it doesn't? Some it do and some don't. Yeah. So genetics definitely p- plays a role and just um, the integrity of your skin, your collagen, just your tissue makeup, that definitely can play a big role in healing and whether or not the diastasis sticks around for a while. And then the rest of it, in my mind, is basically how you are managing your pressure throughout your system. And that's where the physical therapy part of this comes in to really assess how you move, how you're coordinating your muscles and your breath to move, because you can either keep it open and less tense, or you can build up tension and start recovering from it. Mm, Okay. And so if somebody is listening, because right now we're kind of just talking about the theory around it and what it is, but if someone's listening and they're like, do I have this? Because actually one of the things that I know, because I was in the birth world for a while as a doula and a student midwife, but also I was doing perinatal body work. So I actually worked with people postpartum and I was trained to actually check for a, a diastasis recti, just like to, while I was doing work postpartum. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because there were a lot of people who didn't know <laughs> that it was even there. Mm-hmm. So let's say somebody's sitting here and it's like, I don't know, do I have this? Like, how would they check themselves for it? What does it feel like and look like for them? So I think the easiest way for someone to check themselves is to lie down on their back with their knees bent, put two fingers on the midline of the abdomen, about two inches above the belly button. So from there, you're just going to lift your head off of the ground and then wiggle your fingers around. So you should be able to feel the sides of the rectus abdominal muscles. Mm -hmm. So we want to feel for width with our fingertips. And then you want to feel for the depth so you can press into it and feel how much tension is there. So we measure, this is a quick and easy way of measuring. The gold standard is really to have an ultrasound to measure, but this is pretty effective as well, just to get a baseline of what's going on. I start with two fingertips in the midline. If I need more, you just start adding more. If not, you just take fingertips away, but you do that with your head up at two inches above the belly button, over the belly button, and then two inches below the belly button. So 2.5 fingertips, which is just very subjective, that's considered a diastasis. And then if you press into it and it feels soft and squishy, like you're pressing into soft Play-Doh, that definitely means that there's a diastasis there. Usually when I'm checking in the office, that's how I will do it. I won't give many cues as to, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I just have them lift their head and see what their natural muscle patterns are first. Then I will recheck it, but I'll say, okay, now this time when you lift your head, I want you to try to exhale and I'll give them cues for how to engage their abdominal muscles and their pelvic floor, if that's indicated, because they all work together. So we recheck with all those muscles working on an exhale that should generate tension. So you just check again, how many fingertips can you get in between lengthwise? And then what does it feel like when you press into it? It should feel firm like a trampoline. Wow. That's really helpful. And I feel like something people can just explore on their own to begin just to see if this might even be something going on for them. Now, how does this actually affect somebody's life? So many different ways and in all, everybody's different. So a lot of times it can be an aesthetic type of thing where they just don't like the way their abdominal wall looks. Um, Or if they're exercising, another thing that you'll see is some pooching out, like we call it doming or coning. Like you can see a little 
poking out of the midline. Mm. And so that just indicates that there's probably something going on there, like a diastasis. So it's not a life-threatening issue. It's not like this is going to kill you. It's not anything like that. And a lot of times people make it out to be like that in their in their minds, I feel like. So they kind of make it to be more than what it is. And then that can lead to not exercising. It can lead to holding their muscles in tight all day long, which is not a good strategy. We need to be able to contract and relax all of our muscles. A lot of times people tell me they feel like they're broken. I had a woman I was working with for a diastasis and I said, you need to let your abdominal muscles relax. You know, they need to be able to relax and then contract. And so she hadn't done it for maybe literally eight years. She was holding herself tight. And so when she let those muscles go in the clinic, it was very emotional and a lot of tears were released, Mm. but that's what she needed. She was just releasing emotional pain. It's not like it hurt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was amazing. That was really amazing. A lot of times too, it can lead to issues with having a bowel movement because sometimes generating some pressure through our body helps assist in defecation. And I actually saw this in a woman in her eighties. She was having a lot of trouble going to the bathroom for a bowel movement. I found separation in her abdominals. So we worked on her abdominals Hmm. and that helps her go to the bathroom. So that kind of, in that realm, it can affect our bodies. And it's also just, it leads to other muscles in the body taking over. Like you might have back pain because your back's trying to take over for your abdominals where they're not working or hip pain, that kind of thing. Totally. We're all, we're so interconnected. (laughs) It's really true. It's so like we say that. But then when you really learn like the physiology around it, when you oh my really gosh. see like, everything's oh my connected gosh. to everything else. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I come, I always come back to just thinking about our muscles need to work in balance and harmony and yeah. pelvic floor physical therapists assist you on that journey. And of course, like this does involve the pelvic floor muscles. That's a, the bottom of our core. Right. Which is so interesting. And it's so like, as somebody who might be doesn't realize that everything is so connected, it could be easy to be like, oh no, this is in my, this is in my belly. Like this is happening near my one spot. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And so I have to work there (laughs) versus it being like this larger picture. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much. This is so interesting. And I feel like, I don't know, just something that actually is more common than we, and it's one of those things also that we don't talk about a lot unless it's happening for us. Like it's not like common knowledge. People aren't going around and talking about their diastasis. <laughs> yeah. Or their prolapse. That's another right. or a lot their, of people don't oh like my, to talk about that. I know. So many people don't like to talk about their prolapse. I mean, I yeah. Or incontinence or <laughs> Yeah. And also I just thought of this too. Just an abdominal surgery can cause a diastasis. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So it's never always just about pregnancy and you know, pressure management can just happen surgically. So what's the difference between a diastasis and a hernia? I mean, this is something I think there's people who some people might know already what Mm -hmm. a hernia is and be like, obviously they're different. But I think there's a lot of us who are just not actually aware (laughs) of that. And it's one of those things, like, just like a diastasis, you don't actually think about until it happens to you. Like we hear about it, but we're like, I don't know what that actually is. (laughs) Yeah, right. So the the biggest thing here is that a diastasis is more of a thinning and a stretching out of tissue. A hernia is a hole in the tissue that Mm -hmm. organs can protrude through. So usually you would want that to be surgically repaired, but you also want to be able to work on your pressure management through your body because 
the same way a diastasis can stay a diastasis is the same way we can develop a hernia, a prolapse is a hernia, you know? So when I work with people on these things, I'm saying, we're not just preventing one thing. We're helping prevent hernias. We're helping prevent diastasis. We're preventing prolapse and we're preventing herniated discs in the spine. Mm. So we've got a front back and bottom issue here. Wow. So actually the work that you do is actually also helping with spinal health. Definitely. Yep. The spine, the pelvic muscles help stabilize and support the spine. Again, it's all connected. It's so connected. Yeah. I feel like, gosh, it's just like, it's so easy for us in the world that we live in, honestly, to compartmentalize (laughs) Yeah. and to just be like, no, this is lower back pain. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) If you if you have lower back pain and you go to a physical therapist, you should have your abdominal wall assessed. Right. But like how many people are actually even going to physical therapists? You know, it's like so common for somebody to go, if they're going to like, let's say a doctor, or even if they're going to a chiropractor because they have back pain, Mm -hmm. how often are they, which is common, you know, at least in the world that I live in and certainly with like listeners on this podcast probably may go to a massage therapist or they may go to a chiropractor they may go to their doctor too, but like how many of those people are actually also going to a physical therapist or somebody yes, who like is working from a more hol- holistic perspective? Yeah. So, a lot of so- those other professions, they're fantastic, but it's more like they're, something's being done to you. You're having your back adjusted. Somebody's massaging your tissues. Somebody's putting needles in your body for acupuncture. And that's fabulous. But with physical therapy, we're actually teaching you what's going on with your muscles so that you can use your muscles in a certain way to feel better for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's also the piece of like actually implementing it, right? Implementing what you share into daily life so that this can cultivate a more optimal foundation. Yeah. Cause otherwise, I mean, it's interesting because I was a massage therapist for years, like, I don't know, like five or six or seven years. That was the primary thing that I was doing aside from doula work and you know I was doing other things too but like that was kind of <laughs> the main way that I was supporting myself financially and it's interesting because a lot of times I optimally honestly for people to actually receive relief they'd need to be coming like every week you know <laughs> like <Yes>. long term <laughs> yes <laughs> and I mean it was great for some of them and some people were able to do that but most people can't do that not for like years and years and years <laughs> no it's more of like a treat like a monthly or every six weeks treat that's how I think about it but yes. yeah I would love to have massage therapy every week oh my gosh I yeah it. yeah it was cool when we were in school I don't know about physical therapy school but when we were in school in massage school we had And this is great for anybody listening. If you're near a massage school, there's often a student clinic. Like we had a student clinic. And so we actually had the really low cost treatments from students. And honestly, like a lot of times students are like really involved (laughs) in the concepts and they're really like really know where muscles are and know where attachments are. And they're like (laughs) in a way that like, you know, five years later, you, your body knows, and we know, like under, we understand what's happening and we know how to move around the body, but we kind of, I'm, I don't know, for me, (laughs) I can just speak for myself. I wasn't in that same, like I'm steeped in all of this information right now, you know? (laughs) So I think it is great. Checking out student clinics, if you don't have the financial capacity to, you know, support actually seeing somebody weekly is a great way to. Yeah. I think the best massage I ever got was from a student clinic type situation. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
I loved it. I had regular clients. It was so cool. <laughs> you know, like they were like coming back and like, yeah, they were only paying like, I don't know, $40 a treatment or something, but it was, it was amazing. I had people who they were just lower income folks, you know, mm-hmm. who yeah. could actually make that happen. And people who had major disabilities who were able to support massage that way. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's an aside, <laughs> but it's awesome. Don't discount the student clinics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is there anything else you wanted to share about like pressure management in the body, what you even mean by that and like how? We yes. It's definitely a tricky concept to understand right off the bat. So when somebody comes to pelvic floor physical therapy, usually we will do an internal pelvic floor muscle assessment. Not all the time, of course, if you don't want that, you're not going to get it. But knowing what our pelvic floor muscles are capable of doing, um, whether they can contract and relax or if they're stuck in a tense position. So number one, we want to figure out what your pelvic floor muscles are doing. So when I talk about pressure management, we have our breathing diaphragm muscle under our rib cage, and that basically mimics, it's like a mirror of the pelvic floor. And then we have the abs in the front, the back and the back. So we want to be able to breathe with our diaphragm, which is basically my job is to teach people how to breathe pee and poop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard <laughs> for some people to breathe with their diaphragm. They're used to just shallow vertical chest breathing and nothing's happening below the rib cage. So taking a deep breath in, you want your ribs to expand. You do want some belly expansion, but you want your back to expand also. And just to tie this into diastasis recti, if you're only belly breathing and just your belly is expanding for that inhale, you're promoting that diastasis. You want your ribs to move. You want your back to move. So that is one form of pressure management in a way. So when we inhale with our diaphragm, the diaphragm contracts and moves down. That helps the pelvic floor muscles relax and lengthen a little bit. And then when we exhale, it leaves room for the pelvic floor muscles to contract. So pressure management 101, inhale, relax, exhale, contract. When we contract the pelvic floor muscles, it feels like a lift and a squeeze. If your muscles are overactive, you do not need to overactivate them anymore. So Kegels aren't for everybody, but the deeper transverse abdominal muscles work with the pelvic floor. So that's where we get that abdominal contraction happening with the pelvic floor in coordination with our breath. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I feel like I'm trying to embody it (laughs) as you're suggesting it. So I'm inhaling so you and want 360 I, degree expansion, belly, back, and ribs expanding. And when I exhale, there's kind of like a, a tightening. A contraction. Yep. And so if you make that exhale a little forceful, like pretend you're blowing up a mm. balloon or blowing into a straw, those muscles should have a little bit of an automatic contraction happening. Yeah, totally. So that's one way to turn those lower transverse abdominals on. So if you put your hand over your pubic bone, you want to feel some motion happening there. Basically like a little bit of a tensing, but a drawing in motion right above the pubic bone. Mm -hmm. Those muscles are hard to fire postpartum. One more fun fact, if you want it, the transverse abdominal muscles, since they go from the top to the bottom, they can all work together. They can also work by themselves. Like we can just pull in up top. We can just pull in at the belly button and we can just pull in at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So if we're just pulling in at the belly button, that can lead to some pooching down below. So I just want to throw that out there. It was in my brain. 
It's interesting. I think I've only taken a couple of belly dance classes. <laughs> it's not something I've I've done a lot of, but I feel like there's so much in belly dance that's like having you really pay a ton of attention. Have you done belly dance at all? Are you familiar? I've taken one or two classes, but I will sometimes say, think of a belly dancer, you know, yeah. just to have a visual. Totally. Because you're really like feeling into all the different parts. Yep. So to simplify pressure management, if you just take a balloon and blow up a balloon, pay attention to where you feel pressure moving in your body. Mm. Do you, so we should feel like it's moving up and out of our mouth, but some people will bear down and push out through their pelvis. And they do that when they cough and when they sneeze and when they laugh and when they lift. And so being aware of where is that pressure going? Am I bearing down or am I pulling up and in? And in an ideal world where it's going up, right? <laughs> Ideally, it goes up. Yeah. Yep. And not down because down promotes all of the stuff we don't want. Yeah. Leaking, yeah. prolapse, diastasis. Oh, this is such good information. Thank you for sharing everything. You're so welcome. how would somebody take steps to start to recover from diastasis specifically? Like what are your approaches to that? So first education, education, assessing the muscles, if comfortable with pelvic floor muscle assessment, checking what's going on there. Being um, waking up the abdominals and just being able to fire them appropriately. And then in coordination with your breath, everything I just kind of talked about. So as far as specifics go, it's hard to just say what specifically you should be doing. I think definitely working with a pelvic floor physical therapist to get started. Mm -hmm. So just so you learn basic concepts of coordination and turning on your muscles in certain ways, then you can take that with you into your workouts if that's something that you do or just your daily activities, which I think so much more than just certain exercises and workout routines, it's more about how we use our body throughout our normal daily lives that can lead to recovery from these things. Yeah. I feel like that's so important to remember is that it actually, I think that's the same thing with food, right? It's like something that we're doing on a regular basis is going to have so much more impact than something we do once in a while. <laughs> so yeah, consistency. Yeah, definitely. It's like you think about it with food and it's like, okay, well, if I'm eating my kale or my collards or something, and I do that once every three weeks, that's not going to make much of a difference in my yeah. health. <laughs> yeah. But if that's something that I'm incorporating every single day, that actually has like a pretty, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it has a pretty significant impact actually on our liver detoxification capacity. So oh, it's, nice. yeah, it's kind of amazing, right? So like, it's like we can actually consider our food because it's something that we're taking in every single day as our medicine, which I love. That's kind of yeah, that's fantastic. Um, but that's the same thing with what you're talking about is like, oh, okay, how are we breathing? Yeah, not just let me do these exercises for 20 minutes and I'll be all better. It's how are you using your body throughout the day? And so would you like suggest that breathing exercise that you suggested? Like, is that something that's just helpful for people to be aware of just to breathe more deeply? Like, would they do that for a certain period of time? Well, yes, you can slip into that breathing pattern throughout the day. It doesn't necessarily have to involve all the time, all of the rest of your muscles, your pelvic floor and your abs. But if you can slip into a deeper breathing pattern, it helps calm anxiety. It helps the rest of your muscles work a little bit better just from a natural motion in the body. Yeah. And actually, one thing that I remember, there was we actually I had an interview with a friend of mine who does pelvic work more from a my abdominal massage perspective and also, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but also she does internal like holistic pelvic care. She's a nurse. Yep. And so she actually does that work. And so she came on the podcast. I will link to that in the show notes. And she talked about 
the concept of softening. And specifically, one of the things that she was talking about was how actually like anxiety and fear can make us tense up in our oh, abdomen. Totally. And actually our abdomen our and our pelvic pelvis. floor. Yeah. yeah. And so how important it is actually just the idea of breathing like that to activate our parasympathetic nervous system response and that kind of calming down and easing and how that actually can relax and soften some of those muscles, which is really helpful and important. And that's definitely something that I go into with people, especially with constipation. You need to be able to breathe deeply. I love to show a great abdominal massage to massage the large intestine, but then your diaphragmatic breathing to me is like an internal abdominal massage. So you should hear belly sounds. You should start to get those bowels moving better just by breathing. Yeah. And I imagine just activating some of that response, that calming, relaxing response can be helpful for healing anything in the pelvis. I mean, healing often happens for us when we're in more of that parasympathetic state versus being in a more activated state. So, yeah, which is something else to think about early postpartum days is really taking care of yourself as best you can. Mm-hmm. to help your body heal because we do have just a natural healing capacity in all of those connective tissues. Yes. And that's to go back to what you said way earlier in the beginning, the idea of, oh, there's some people, you know, 70% of people or so where they don't have the diastasis after 12 months or whatever, but then there's this 33%. And it's not saying, oh, you're, you've done something wrong. Not at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our bodies are just different, but there are potentially ways like you're saying to optimize our recovery. So that's, awesome. yeah. And I've seen a lot of videos too, where it's not like there are CrossFit athletes who deal with diastasis mm-hmm. after postpartum and Pilates instructors who have great body awareness, but they may be using their muscles a little bit out of sequence or one's just not kicking in the way it should. And so just learning how to use your muscles a little bit differently can go a long way. Mm, that's helpful to hear too. Just that these people who actually focus on this area of their body <laughs> might actually be experiencing it too. You're not too, alone, my friends. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, there are things you can do in pregnancy. So yeah, I just said 100% in the third trimester have it. That doesn't mean throw everything out the window. You can prevent it from getting worse in pregnancy as well. And so that can just include log rolling. Have you, you know what log rolling is where you just lie down to pretend like you're a log, (laughs) you roll onto your side and then you roll onto your back. So it's taking the strain off the abdominal wall. And then to get out of bed, you roll to your side and then legs down, body up so that you're not putting extra strain on your abdominal muscles Mm -hmm. to help lift you. Those kinds of things. And again, just the pressure management of engaging your, you can engage those transverse abdominal muscles when you're nine months pregnant. I remember but when I was pregnant, I was not a pelvic floor therapist. And I asked my OB, can I use my abs? Like, where else do you learn this information? They're not telling you. I was like, is it okay for me to pull my belly in? Is that my squishing the baby? Uh-huh. <laughs> and she and looks was- at me like I have two heads, but I didn't know. Right. It's so, fu- it's so interesting. Right. And you were a physical therapist though, too, right? At the time. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like, still like, Pregnancy, you have yeah, a absolutely it's different. It's your, different. You, don't and you, wanna... don't, you don't learn about it. And yeah, yeah, and I think one of the things I think about when you're actually using your ab muscles when you have a babe inside is it's almost like a hug, you know, it's almost like this. Yeah, hug the baby. Yeah. Hug so, the baby and exhale. Okay. So I know you also wanted to talk about why there are no like good or safe 
and no like bad or unsafe exercises around diastasis because maybe some people have heard that. Yeah. So the thing about this, and again, everybody's different, but sometimes you can check for a diastasis laying on your back and it's huge. And then you go into a front plank and it's gone. Mm -hmm. So it all depends on how we use our muscles. If you are exercising and you see that doming and coning, then it's time to just readjust how you're doing that exercise or movement, whatever it may be, how you're using your muscles, or just change it to a different exercise and try again later in your healing process. But it all goes back to how you're doing the exercise. Are you holding your breath? Are you bearing down? Like things that would promote the diastasis versus that great pressure management of engaging with an exhale. So certain things, yeah, you don't want to return right away to crunches and certain things like that, that are really stressing the rectus muscles right away. Of course, eventually you'll get back to that. Things like also like big stretches. If you were to lay down on your back on an exercise ball, let's say to really stretch out the abdominal wall, Mm -hmm. that's not going to feel great at that time. Mm -hmm. So certain things like that you do want to avoid, but otherwise it's all about how you do it. So trying to just get the good and bad out of your head, that can lead to just not doing anything because you're so scared to move. Right. I can totally understand that. That makes sense that people might be. And then of course, if you're in that fear state, (laughs) you're probably not in much of a healing state. But yeah, that that experience of feeling afraid, I think whenever it it can happen, if we have any kind of injury in our body, it's like, oh, I like have something going on with my knee. And then I'm like afraid to use my knee, but actually in order to heal my knee, I need to use muscles. (laughs) There's got to be some stress there. Yeah. To help heal. And so it sounds like you really recommend people check in with at least pelvic floor physical therapist in order to kind of get a sense of what's going on individually in their body. Yeah. Especially if you really want and need that pelvic floor muscle assessment, we're the ones who do that. But it also sounds like that's actually, it would be helpful to understand that like for most people. I mean, if they were open to it. Very Um, much. Yeah. Because just thinking about which muscles make up the core, a lot of people just think it's abs but you've got a top and a bottom. So we've got the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. So if you don't know what's going on in your pelvic floor, or you don't know how to engage properly, that's huge for just being able to have that knowledge. Thank you. This is a lot of great information. If some, if people were listening and they were just kind of like, whoa, you just fire hosed me with a lot of information. (laughs) And you talked about a lot of like anatomy and physiology and muscles and all this stuff. And like, I kind of understand, but I don't like, what, what would you want them to take away from this? Like, one or two things just as a basic concept that they can take away. So basic concepts would be that there's more muscles involved than you think, and they all need to work together. Pressure management. So just being able to exhale and engage 101. Don't hold your breath. Try not to bear down when you do things. And that there is hope and you can recover from these issues. It's not just this is happening. This is going to happen forever. Mm. That's not, that's not the way it is. I love the idea that we are all on like our own personal healing journeys in our lives and they look different for every person. We all go through, at least in my life, I can speak for myself, but I've seen it in other people's and my clients and everything. It's like, oh, we like have this one thing that we're working on and then we start to recover from that. And oh, this other thing comes up. (laughs) It's like, oh, another thing. And sometimes too, I would say another good reason for coming to see a pelvic floor therapist is sometimes people will try to rehab their abs themselves, which is great, but it can also then lead to prolapse or leaking because they're not actually managing their pressure as well as they think they are, or that's just not on their radar. Mm. So you don't want to try to heal one thing 
And like you said, end up with another thing. Yes. I feel like that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. And (laughs) yeah. So something else that just popped into my brain, I don't know if it's okay to just mention the name of kind of like a, I would say she's like a celebrity trainer in a way, Yeah. which I don't know if you're aware of her, Kristen McGee. Mm -mm. She's a yoga instructor. No, she's with Peloton right now. She, she talks a lot about her experience with a diastasis recti. And I love hearing that. I just love hearing her. She'll, she'll say some things in her classes about the pelvic floor, which not many people will do that. Yeah. So you're saying that she, as she had, does she have one now or she's rehabbed it herself? I think she's rehabbed it, but you still, you know, you still want to be aware of pressure management. And now that's in her, I think she, I think she had twins. So she, she was extra stretched. And so is this something that then that's like a weak point in somebody's body over the course of the rest of their life? Like, is it something, I mean, or is it just kind of like it kind of heals and then kind of normalized? I mean, I always tell people that pressure management is something to think about anyway for the rest of your life. It's not like you want to do it for a year and then go back to poor strategies. So I usually will say, I'm giving you these exercises. You don't have to do these for the rest of your life, but you do need to be aware of your pressure management for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And it starts to become automatic. If I do something where I'm bearing down, I'm aware of it and then I fix it. So I'm hoping that in most people's brains, it just turns into an automatic type thing, mm-hmm. like an automatic strategy. Yeah. And I love that when you're speaking of this process, specifically with diastasis, that it's also going to be preventing future prolapse or like supporting pelvic floor yes. health overall. It's like pretty incredible actually. (laughs) Yeah. It's never just one thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of this. It's just been really incredible amount of information. I feel like if anybody is listening and it just feels like a lot, feel free to rewind and listen to it again. It's helpful. I know when I was new to a lot of these words and these terms, it took me a long time. Actually, I was like a very slow learner around muscles and where they are in the body and how things work together. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it does take a lot of, at least for me, it took a lot of practice and reviewing and then also feeling it in my own body. So I just want to encourage people to really listen to your own body and, and try these things in yourself first and foremost. Yeah. And you know what, like the first thing people say when they come back for their second visit is like, I am so much more aware. Mm. This therapy will bring you, make you so aware of your body, which is great. Yes. And like tuned in to your belly and your womb, which is what I'm so all about, like the pelvic yeah. space. And it's such a seat of power and presence. And like, it's like our ground in our body, you know, it has so it's much everything. Energy. It affects everything. Yep. I'm so with you. You're speaking my language. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone listening wants to learn more or work more with you, I know that you are down in Brevard County, Florida, but where else can they find you? And do you have anything exciting coming up you want to share about? Yeah. So probably my website's the easiest place to learn more and connect with me if that's something that you want to do. So my website is embracehealthandrehab.com. I do have an email newsletter that I love just educating people about the pelvic floor. So it's a different topic every other week. So that can you can sign up for that if you'd like through my website. Um, my Instagram, I try to keep free resources in those links on Instagram. And that is embracehealth.pelvicpt. I am working on building up my YouTube and my Pinterest pages. It just takes a lot of time, but it'll all be the same Embrace Health Physical Therapy name. Mm -hmm. And then I do have classes coming out soon. So online learning classes. 
which is super exciting. So that can all be found through my website when the time is right. And then I do virtual visits. So anywhere in the country, you can sign up for a virtual visit and we can see each other, talk to each other. It's more of a wellness visit, but those are awesome. Super helpful. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for all of that. I will definitely put all those links in the show notes so that people have them and it's easy to access. And yeah, I'm just really, really grateful. Thank you so much, Christine. This has been great. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Woohoo. You made it. I am celebrating you, celebrating you for hanging out for the entire interview. I hope you really received a lot from that. And I hope if you're somebody who does have diastasis or diastasis recti, that this is a good starting point for you to really your first steps. Hopefully you have some first steps that you can take. And also, if you're somebody who supports people in the perinatal period, if you're a doula, if you're a midwife, if you're somebody who just has friends who've been postpartum and you want to help them even figure out what their next steps might be if they've got this going on. This is, I hope, really good information for you. So, of course, as always, all of the links that Christine mentioned will be on the show notes page. That's going to be herbalwomb.com forward slash episode 55. Herbalwomb.com forward slash episode 55 is where you can find all of those links to her website, to her social media, anything that you might want to learn more or work more with her, you can find on there. You can just scroll down. And also... I have an exciting update for you. If you listened to last week's episode, then you'll know that I'm going to be presenting at the Pelvic Health Summit, Sacred Pelvic Health Summit, which is, I think, March 23rd to 25th. I'm pretty sure those are the dates. And there is currently, so there was an early bird sale that was supposed to end on the 4th, but it's actually been extended to the 12th. So you have a little more time if you do want to take advantage of getting a discount, the biggest discount that there will be by this Sunday, February 12th, you can get that. And that's the code for that is early bird in all caps. And you can just go and find those links, like I said, um, down under this episode or on the show notes page. So I really feel like it's going to be a special weekend, a really special time. I shared about it last week, but I'll share it about it again. There's just, I can tell that these folks who are presenting, although I don't know all of them personally, I do know a couple of, I know maybe three or four of them personally. (laughs) And the people that I do know are incredibly embodied in their practices and embodied in their knowledge and their wisdom. And like I said last week, Elisa Starkweather is someone who for decades and decades has been working in the world of womb wellness. She started the Red Tent Movement. She's just a really incredible human who really has brought, I think, a lot of what we take for granted these days around our womb-centered wisdom. She brought a lot of that to the forefront in some ways. She was a big part of kind of bringing that out. And same with Rosita Arvigo, who is the founder of the My Abdominal Massage, her particular form that she has been teaching and that many, many, many people practice. You probably know people who practice My Abdominal Massage. It's an amazing I've taken a couple of classes and it's really an amazing modality that is incredibly supportive for general pelvic health and really honoring the depth of connection and potential that we have in our womb space. Also very much coming from the indigenous lineage of healers from Central America is actually, she was based in Belize, so... That is where this lineage comes from. 
And then there's this other crew of people who will be there who I don't know. It sounds like there's some people who are really deeply connected to sexual embodiment, really embodying the wisdom and the mystery of what it means to be with our wombs. And then another person who I'm kind of excited to encounter is someone who actually is a filmmaker and she currently is working on finding places to screen her new film, I believe, called At Your Cervix. At Your Cervix. So I feel like this is going to be a pretty potent weekend. I'm just putting it out there. I will probably keep talking about it because this is a big thing. It's a thing that's happening and I would love for you to join us. It would be such an honor to be there with you. So again, you can get those links down below or on the show notes page. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you received something from it, if you feel like there's someone who could benefit, if you know somebody with diastasis recti, if you have any thought of anybody who maybe this could benefit, then please share this with them. And that could be in a DM, that could be in a text message, that could be publicly on social media. And if you do share it publicly on social media, you can tag me at Herbal Womb Wisdom. I would love that. I hope that this has been really supportive for you. And I hope that it's also helped you to just start to get to know your body a little bit more fully, you know, understanding even the idea of thinking about all of our different abdominal muscles. Like if you're not somebody who's already studied anatomy and physiology, just getting a sense of like, wow, there's like different layers of muscles and they're all related to each other. And somehow that relates to our pelvis and to our breathing. I mean, to me, it's just beautiful. And yeah, I hope it's inspiring for you too. And that you begin to explore some of that deep breathing into into both the belly and into the rib cage, really expanding the rib cage and the belly and exhaling and feeling that slight contraction, like allowing yourself to explore that rhythm. I'm just that's just a little reminder of the rhythm. Okay, friends, until next week, live well, connect deeply, and have a beautiful rest of your day.